Fall is here, there's a chill in the air, and the Anomaly Film Festival is right around the corner. It's November 8th through the 12th at the Little Theater in Rochester, New York. Check it out at AnomalyFilmFest.com. It's the fifth year of showing the best in independent genre films, action, sci-fi, horror, dark comedy, and really whatever else that you wouldn't get a chance to see on the big screen. It's Anomaly Film Fest at the Little Theater, November 8th through 12th, AnomalyFilmFest.com. Masters of Couch Potato Style Punches and Popcorn Welcome and back, Punches and Popcorn family. You have entered once again the universe of Couch Potato Ninjas. And we are here to tell you an exciting tale today. Uh, a young man who grew up in California and met a kindly old Japanese man, a mysterious old Japanese man who brought him into the world of secretive martial arts and whisked him to Japan to learn those martial arts and then bring those martial arts back to America where he was, his skills were recognized by the CIA who brought him into the jungles of Vietnam and Cambodia for Top secret mission. Little boy. And my father took me to a that little boy. That young man. Demonstration is the man known as Frank Dukes. Ah, <laughs> oh, crap! Wrong movie. We already did Bloodsport. No, this is the almost same story, but we are actually talking about Above the Law, starring Steven Seagal. So, this is uh, going to be a fun one tonight, guys. Uh, we have our punches and popcorn crew here. And we also have a special guest. So before we jump into this display of uh, quote unquote martial arts, <laughs> sort of, we let's all say hi. So again, I'm your host on the mic, Mike, Magic Mike, maybe? I don't know. Go for it. Yeah, I, I'm going to take it. But the real magic man we know is the man at the at the board at our controls, our magic man, Matt Knotts. Hi, I'm the CIA bag man, Matt Knotts, here, here to bag your groceries. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, we'll come back to that. We have another uh, magic, magic weapon here. Uh, maybe uh, I'm gonna say you're a plus three magic weapon, the walking weapon, Doctor Dominic Demore. <laughs> I'm the CIA fishmonger. That's my official title. Yes, and oh, I gotta come up with. Well, I'm gonna think of my CIA title, and we're gonna talk about that more later. But I don't want to delay anymore introducing our very special guest and the host for us tonight. Our man, the wonderful and talented host of the multi-award winning podcast, Food About Town, our friend, brother of the podcast, Mr. Chris Lindstrom. Gentlemen, it's such a pleasure to have you over at the Food About Town studio uh, to talk about one of my absolute favorite and absolutely most despised actors, Steven Seagal. I've watched all the movies so many times, and it's, it's the it's the epitome of the love hate relationship. And I'm, I'm excited to love and hate with my brothers and the Lunchador podcast network here in the studio. What a delight. Thank you again so much for having us into the food about town studios. It is beautiful. Yeah, this it's turned out really well and it's uh, great to have people here recording in person. And it's uh, you know, one of the great pleasures being part of a, a fun podcast network like Lunchador, where we get to have different discussions here and have multiple people on uh, both remote and in person. It's uh, pretty Fantastic. Just for tonight, we're going to rename the studio. Oh, what are we doing? It's going to be, it's no longer the Food About Town podcast tonight. It's no longer the Food About Town studio tonight. It is now Bogota Studio. 
<laughs> home of dinner and dancing. Yeah, and we're 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 taking a beautiful, beautiful trip to South America through the lens of a weird restaurant that serves nothing but cake. Yeah, that, that was a wild thing, the amount of cake on those plates. Nothing else. I saw no other food than cake and then weird dark colored beverages on the tables. Yeah, nothing Colombian, that's for sure. I saw no I saw no tamales, I saw no empanadas, I saw no stewed pork. Nothing that indicated Colombian. Colombian food whatsoever. No, it just looked like wedding cake and maybe like espresso martinis. Yes, tonight at the Bogota restaurant, we are having white cake. <laughs> white cake. <laughs> and espresso martini, possibly Colombian coffee in the espresso martinis. Maybe that's the relate. That's were, true. Were they reflecting 2022 like with espresso martinis? Did they know that they were going to come back and we were going to watch <laughs> it and feel like completely at home with that terrible, awful drink, the espresso martini? You know, this movie presupposes so much stuff in 2022. <laughs> I can't wait to get into it. It really does. And I have to say, I'm pretty intimidated sitting here in this Bogota studios, aside from all that cake. Um, These awards on the wall, sir, they are just staring down at me, just proclaiming Mr. Lindstrom's talent and... Well, you know what? It's I tried to tone it down a little bit with only putting four of the five on the wall. <laughs> I don't I don't want to be ostentatious. I don't want to be braggadocious. I don't want to use other words that have lots of syllables. Like this 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 is a night for this is a night to talk about a true Italian legend, Steven Seagal playing Nico Toscani with the absolute worst Italian portrayal that I've seen in almost any movie I've ever seen. And I've watched lots of bad gangster movies. If I may, if I may jump in <laughs> oh, as you may. the resident Italian here, just just as a little bit of background, I'm third generation, oh, I'm second generation Italian on my mother's side and fourth generation Italian on my father's side. There's nothing else but Italian. I actually am 25% Sicilian, which is what he is supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. That's all. I'm 100% Italian, whatever that means, blah, blah, blah. Um, wait, 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 Dom. Have you ever had and worn a black horn? No. Red horn? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no. I mean, there's, there's even ugh, there's, there's limits, you know. There's only so much chest hair I'll show at one time, you know. I'm not, I don't have any hair gel in, etc. <laughs> but I will say this. I will say this. I don't mind how the bad guys were portrayed. Like, oh. I've seen a gazillion gangster movies, and they're all the same. And, like, I feel like I'm, I feel like the Italians, modern Italians, are so far removed from that stereotype of, you know, the crazy suits, the polyester suits, and the big greasy hair, and the, hey, yo, what are you doing kind of thing. It's a little, bleh. What I don't like is Steven Seagal's Italian. Now, 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 keep in mind, he is half Russian Jew and half Irish. There's no Italian that I know of him. I don't mind that. I'm not going to call racial appropriation. I'm not an oppressed demographic. But, but what pisses me off is the fact that he's the most annoying type of Italian stereotype. I will take Super Mario over this clown any day of the week. I'm sorry. The slang he uses, he doesn't even pronounce it correctly. Like, I love how he's super Catholic and everyone's super Catholic and everyone's like on like a first name basis with the priest, you know, and he's like a mama's boy. His mother lives with him and he's like, mama, how you doing? She's like, oh, I love you. I, I was half expecting him to be like, 
mixing some sauce for about 45 <laughs> minutes of this movie. I'm like, come on. That's a dude. deleted scene. Yeah, we were we were expecting to hear helicopters and him to be peering outside of his car window. <laughs> like, that stereotype yeah. I don't like. The whole, like, you know, this, like, mama's boy, super Catholic, yet tough guy thing. Come on, man. Oh, and she, and she was really, she was really dripping it on, too. It was, like, 125% Catholic Italian mom. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, oh, Nico, my boy, uh, you do nothing wrong. Plus, Come on. How about the whole stereotype that, oh, he's also, he's a cop, but yeah, he's got family in the mob, and when he needs to, you know, the mob family will take him in and take his family in. And- of course. You know what makes me really happy is that we've started the podcast that we're like this far in and we've talked nothing about the plot of the movie. No. It makes me so wait, wait, happy. Wait, wait, time out, time out, time out. Can we explain the plot? Because <laughs> so, I honestly didn't follow. I'm a pretty smart guy and I can follow some plots. Christopher Nolan has not pulled a fast one on me. I've watched some weird <laughs> experimental movies and I'm like, I don't, I got it. I get it. But this like halfway through, I'm like, why? Why are these uh, <laughs> refugees from? Uh, I don't care. I, I just I, I stopped caring. I think I stopped caring. Be- before like, oh. before we do that, can we can we hear Nico describe his own childhood? Oh please. I was born in Palermo, Sicily. <laughs> you don't even look Sicilian. <laughs> <laughs> we were always raised to be very patriotic, to love our country, and we did. When I was a little boy. My father took me to a baseball game. They had a martial arts demonstration out there, and I saw this little old Japanese man doing things that I thought were magical and uh, developed a crazy dream to go to the Far East. And by the time I was 17, I was there studying with the masters. This is like the softest Skinamax music that you can possibly imagine. If you substitute out a saxophone for the pan flutes here, <laughs> somebody's definitely getting boned with a glass of Chardonnay. In well, I, and I love how much the pan flute really like links up to like everything that he does in the future movies, where it's like appropriation of all cultures, like from Italian to Native American like to indigenous cultures, like that is like his favorite thing to do is to appropriate other cultures in the deepest possible <laughs> way he can think of. Kind of like how he's now appropriating Russian culture as apparently Vladimir Putin's best buddy. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's actually his Russian though. That's the thing. Right. Like, Oh, that's true. Actually, that's why he's the most authentic he's ever been. Like, yeah, well, <laughs> I guess we'll give him like the Ovechkin mulligan on that one, but the rest, <laughs> it's a real mess. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's, I, it's, it's a clusterfuck. It's total mess. So yeah. to begin with, I think the important thing to note about this movie to going in is that the title of this movie comes from a quote uh, that is said, played via through a video in the beginning of the movie, from Richard Nixon. Yeah. Uh, unironically. So again, this is a movie whose title comes from and is apparently honoring Richard Nixon. I, I kind of love the fact that this movie is bookended by drops of the title. <laughs> You get it in the the intro montage, and you also get it in the VO at the end from Seagal. Yeah, it's like within the first minute and in the last minute. Like, we don't want you to forget that you have just seen or you're about to see Above the Law. My only disappointment is it wasn't the first thing in the title, in the credit roll at the end. Above the Law. That would have been nice. Yeah. Steven Seagal. (laughs) 
That's the only thing we missed. Yeah. Can, can we talk about can we talk about that intro? Like Let's is this it. movie the most derivative movie in the world or is it like <laughs> top 10? Because oh my god, like they are heavy-handed trying to turn Steven Seagal into the next all-American action star. Oh yeah. He's like I'm an immigrant, but I came yep. to this country. I'm a patriot. I love my country. And there's so many times in this movie that he is the badass with the heart of gold and they just beat us over the head with it. He's like, I kill people in Vietnam. I'm a, I'm a ruthless <laughs> martial artist. You're torturing him. You can't do that for opium. <laughs> that's really bad. Our government's corrupt. How is that possible? And then as the movie progresses, he's like the mob. Oh, they're bad. They can't do this. Oh, the CIA. That's really bad. But I'm going to like lay waste to half the city and <laughs> shoot all these people doing it. It's just this, this, he's just, they're just trying to shoehorn this boy scout with prison morals throughout the entire movie. It's yeah. basically like dirty Harry meets captain America. And I just, <laughs> Oh yeah. Before we pivot back to Mike with the plot, I do have to note <laughs> that Seagal was in Vietnam in 1973. And this movie is purportedly in the mid to late eighties. And he, he does Idiot. not look like he was 15 years older than he was in Vietnam. <laughs> right. He looked zero days older. They did no work to try to make Seagal look like he was 15 years older it's, than he was. It's kind of, to me, like the anti-Irishman where there's like the scene in the beginning <laughs> where Robert De Niro is supposed to be like, what, 25 or something? And I'm like, he looks like he's 70. Like the computer graphics didn't. I mean, I love Bobby D. There's no knock against... De Niro, he's one of the greatest, but uh, he... <laughs> well, the thing is, they antiqued everybody else up, like uh, Plastic Man, the, the bad guy. Right. They gave him, Oof. like, the, the talcum powder and the hair. Like, everybody else that was with him in Vietnam, they aged up except for Seagal. Right. Seagal still looks like he was brushing, like, shoe polish through his hair. And then again, they're in the jungle... They are, you know, deep, deep, uh, I can't think of the right word here. Yeah, probably deep cover deep or cover you know, some enemy, sort of, yes. Yeah, deep and right. behind enemy lines. And he's, yeah, again, like he's not wearing any hat or anything. It's just like full makeup up with his slicked back hair yeah. going. Yeah, so, go. so we're, we're, we're in Vietnam and then we pivot back. We're into the training. We're into the other stuff. Like, Mike, where, where does this movie go from there? Like, can you describe... <laughs> Like, what happened in this movie? Yeah, Mike, what's the plot? <laughs> the plot yeah. of this movie yeah. is... Yeah, Mike, why didn't we watch Under Siege instead? It's the same freaking director. <laughs> it also has Steven Seagal, and it actually has a good supporting cast, good acting, and it makes sense. But no, we have to do Above the Law. So no. here you go. Summarize I, the plot. I, I'm, I'm going to step in and save Mike and say that this is on my friend Chris. <laughs> I was trying to get one that had more martial arts in it, because Under Siege is one I've seen a hundred times. A hundred times. I know every beat of that movie from start to finish. And I wanted to get more martial arts. And it's I, I think it's the mishmash of the first four movies before Under Siege together. They have more martial arts, but at the same time, it's just like dripped and dropped in there. Like we got the training sequence. Yep. And then we get moments where he uses the techniques. But beyond that, it's like throughout the rest of the plot, he basically doesn't martial arts other than like specific fast cut moments. Yeah. Right. And it's yeah. funny that I, so I, as I joked in the beginning there, there's a lot of similarities here to 
at least the premise of Bloodsport or the story of Frank Dukes. Like the beginning, that first scene before he becomes a cop, really when I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, they're just retelling the Frank Dukes story, but in the way that Frank Dukes wants us to believe it happened. I like at least Steven Seagal doesn't say this is what happened to him. He's playing a fictional character here, even though he said that he like he's a co-writer on this movie. So it's stripped with his experience, but at least he doesn't like Seagal doesn't say I was behind enemy lines, even though you might have been in the army reserve and like New Jersey or something at the time. But anyway, that's another story that we've already dug into and I'm sure we'll dig at again later. But uh, it's interesting, like comparing this to blood sport again, they're kind there's similar themes to the two, at least in their initial pre- uh, pretense, but blood sport, like, right. He establishes this connection with this, this ancient martial art, and it's connected like throughout the movie, his his uh, connection with the Tanaka clan and how it gets him there. But really, it, like we start with him in this Akedo studio doing this little display. And then, right, it's never like mentioned again. It's never like, oh, I, I draw on this to inspire me or get me through difficult moments. Like it's basically we get a like five minute like, yep, this guy knows some martial arts and then that's it. Uh, then it's just moves on from there. And to kind of go to the Can question. Can I speak to that? Can I speak to that for a second? Oh, please. Yeah, this, sure. move, this movie did not need martial arts. It did not. This movie, the martial, the fight scenes could have been all haymakers and gut punches. And the movie would have been pretty much the same thing. Like the martial arts aspect of it was only sprinkled in there to explain how he could take on so many thugs and not die. That's really it. Like it's not a, I don't, I wouldn't consider this a martial arts movie. I think it's appropriate for our podcast, even though it sucks. But <laughs> Are you but saying no, that it's, it's appropriate it, because it is, we it, suck? It's not, a, it's not about martial artists. It's not about training. It's not about competition. The, the, you know, it's, Honestly, this it, it's Dirty Harry. This guy could be, this could have been like this could have been Clint Eastwood. It could have been ten years earlier. It would have been very similar movie to that. So like it's a cops corrupt government. I, I, like I said, it's super derivative, and the fact that they have three Aikido fight scenes. Which are well, I'll talk about them a little bit later. But the fact that they have three Aikido fight scenes where he shows off his martial arts is irrelevant to the plot. Like I said, it could have been all like Indiana Jones style haymakers and it would have been the same kind of movie. Yeah. Cause ostensibly, I mean, this is a like, yes, the bad guys who are bad guys in Vietnam are involved with like drug dealing in the city that Seagal's in, which I believe in this case is Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. yeah noted Chicagoan yeah. and Italian, uh, Steven Seagal. Um, so <laughs> like it's ostensibly a drug, a drug movie from the military, which, you know, a story as old as time. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, yes, bad FBI agents and complete misuse of Sharon Stone and Pam Greer. Um, but, like, that's the whole story. And it just, it does jump around a ton. Like, it never has a through line throughout. Like, it, that does exist, but it never feels like it starts and it never feels like it continues and it never feels like it ends. <laughs> I feel like it trusts. So Mike, are you going to walk us through? Are you going to keep talking? Are you going to walk us through? So I, I want to walk you through why we're doing this right now. That wasn't the question, Mike. That was a question that was out there. That was not the question oh. asked. <laughs> so the plot line here is that there's some uh, Salvadorian bad guys, El Salvadorian bad guys, connected with the CIA because everybody knows the CIA. Uh, 
runs drugs prolifically in the 80s, um, causing all sorts of wars and stuff in the in Central America to fund their uh, batch of evil everywhere around the world. And that's at full display here. And there is these El Salvadorian refugees who are there because they know about the drug lords and good Catholic boy Nico. Uh, he gets exposed to them. <laughs> and then, like, people die. And, like, there's a lot of priests that die in this movie. And there's a bomb in church. Yeah. Because apparently the only way that they could kill this priest is to blow up a church during a service. And... That was no cherry bomb. That was C4. I've used that shit. I know what it smells like. And I know what it blows like. <laughs> <laughs> Steven Seagal, noted, noted explosives expert. He knows all about blowing. If he knows anything, he knows what it blows like. <laughs> Just when he said that, like I picture him like like one of these scenes out of these 80s movies where he just goes up to like the the debris around the like initial like point zero for the bomb, runs his middle finger over the ground, then runs it along his gums, then like licks it, he's like Oh yeah, that's C4. I know that shit anywhere. Yeah. But I, I think that's the unfortunate thing. Like I think Mike did as good a job as you can do about yeah. describing this plot. Because that's that is like those question marks that were in every sentence you said. I think that is that should be the official description of this movie. For sure. I, I think this movie relies on the fact that you've seen this plot 75 times before, so you'll just fill in the rest. You know, it, it's kind of that, oh yeah, it's it's the illusion of motion kind of thing. Right. So you're like, oh, yeah, no, that's why he's doing that. God's honest truth. When you said this is El, Sal El Salvadorians, I was like, I didn't realize that at all. I had <laughs> no, no recollection. No recollection of that. I, I thought this was just straight up mafia versus generic Chicago cops. Well, the, the mafia sort of good in this because Nico's related to them and yeah, I don't. I don't remember that actually happened. I, like, I don't remember any of that. I just figured they're like, okay, everyone's Italian, so everyone's everyone's cousin, you know. Bada bing, yeah, fucking ass. Well, it's it's hard to tell <laughs> because you're kind of only introduced to that when they're at the the baptism party. I guess is where it's at, where Pam Greer gets introduced to us by being catcalled by everyone. Yeah, and it's just like the really like. Luscious cat callers are the mob guys, and the like nondescript cat callers are the are her coworkers. Yeah, and it's like must be guys. Yeah, and I, I think that's I think it gets us to the second point is like this movie has criminally underused one of the absolute most charismatic like actors of like the prior. 10 to 15 years and also for the next five to 10 years. Like, yeah. like she is so charismatic and she's a pile of nothing in this completely to the fault of the, of like the director and everything else. Like she does absolutely nothing for two thirds of the movie. And it's really depressing. Well, the it, interesting thing is Pam Greer actually said this is one of her favorite movies because she got to show off her acting skills. <sighs> I saw that on like IMDB. So I, I didn't get a chance to chase down whatever interview that might've, come up with so that, if one of our listeners 
is able to refute that or back it up. I can only imagine that came doing doing press for this movie. <laughs> it had to be. Like, how could <laughs> she know, say that before? Fo- well, I mean, this is after, well after Foxy Brown. Well after Brown. Foxy Brown, well after Coffee. Like, here's the thing. Like, it, I feel like that's one of the th- things you have to say when you're doing press. Like, the Michael Caine thing where he couldn't right. say it when he made the Jaws movie. But afterwards, they asked him <laughs> if he saw it. And he's like, no, but I saw the house it bought. It's fantastic. <laughs> right. Like, I feel like that's what Pam Greer had to do for this one just to get butts in seats. I yeah, bet. Because uh, this movie functions strictly to make Steven Seagal poochie. Like, whenever he's not on screen, everybody needs to be asking <laughs> where's poochie. I think Nico was said, like, like an incalculable amount Perfect. of times. And you're absolutely right. Like, every time he's not on screen, somebody is saying Nico. And it's really, like, it's mesmerizing in its, like, like mundanity. And it just happens all the time. Yeah. And he is so unlikable. He is so unlikable. I'm sitting there. I'm sitting watching this movie, and I'm like, every time he has a quip, every time he flirts with Pam Greer, every time he tries to comfort his wife, Sharon Stone, by the way, totally wasted, um, or his mother or the other cops, like every time he interacts with someone, I'm like, you're a jerk. I don't like you at all. You're supposed to be like this this like Guido Captain America and you are not doing that. Well, wow. and I, like he's yeah. So and I think you brought up that other point. I'm like Sharon Stone, 100% wasted in this movie. Like one of the great stars of the next 10 years of oh, yeah. film and completely wasted. She is another pile of nothing in this movie. They gave her nothing to do. Yeah, it was, you said, what was it? The she other night a lot. She yelled. <laughs> It was a year or two later that she did Basic Instinct. Yep. Yeah. And then two years after that, Casino. Right. Yep. Like like some of the most like notable roles of all of film history. And they're like, you know what? We don't really need to use her. We've got Seagal's charisma. Let's just put her in the background. Anytime you're banking on Seagal's charisma, you <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> well, this, well, interesting thing I didn't realize. Like Seagal, this is his... First, or at least according to Wikipedia, yeah. yep. this is his first movie. I always thought of like 80s action stars, Arnold, Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal is not an 80s action star. No, he's he only made 90s. one movie in the 80s. Yeah, I had yep. no idea about it. He just He's just so like, he came at the tail end, and clearly this movie isn't trying to clutch that tail end of the wave of, awesome 80s action movies and it just falls flat (laughs) so this is so this is where and this is what i was getting at before about why we're doing this movie now and why amongst his other ones um yeah we so we talked about this and i want to just call back to your description of him a moment ago dom if we will call back to when we mentioned steven seagal or i did in our blood sport episode i'd said that in the 80s, mar- 80s, or I guess it's more 90s, uh, martial arts action stars, really the big ones that were out there for us was Van Damme and Seagal. And I said, you know, Van Damme is, is he's likable, like almost to a point where you're like, this guy's a goofball. But Seagal, I, I said in that episode, and I agree with it here, just like you said, every time he does anything, you're like, this guy's an asshole. Like, even when he's, suppose he's trying to be, like, nice and protecting people, but, like, just that look on his face, you're like, this guy is going to betray us to Russia someday. This guy is going to go to the Ukraine to flag wave for Vladimir Putin, so, which he did earlier this year. The, the story I've heard, and it's probably apocryphal, but I don't know, is that Michael Ovitz, who is, like, a huge tail. Yep. An agent. Yep. Um, 
he kind of my fair, fair ladyed Seagal, right? He was like, yep. I can make anybody an action star. Watch. I'll take this prick and make him big. <laughs> yep. And, and, and he did. And he did. Which and he did. Great, great for Michael Ovitz. Fucking sucks for the rest of us. <laughs> right, right. Well, we, so, again, we did get under siege. So, I mean, right. you know, in another time, perhaps we'll talk about an actual decent movie. I would argue On Deadly Ground is also fun. Oh, yeah, but it is it is the most cringeworthy of all the Seagulls. That, I don't know. Fire mm. Down Below is pretty bad. <laughs> you haven't seen the last couple years where they, he drives, but it's only on green screen. And he can't kick above his waist, but they still make him look like he's the toughest guy alive. <laughs> Well, we okay, have any- can, can, yeah. Go ahead, Tom. I was just saying, like, um, you know, one other thing I didn't realize is, um, so I feel like, um, I almost said Stallone. Wow, I feel like Seagal <laughs> he wants to be Stallone. Is the, not only the biggest problem in this movie, I feel he might be the only problem in this. Movie. <laughs> well, yeah, hear me I, out. Right, hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. So it's very clear that this movie is Steven Seagal jerking himself off for an hour and a half. Right. Okay. If you think like I, I realize the director Andrew Davis directed, who's also the writer, he's the co-writer and you know director yep. and producer of this movie, right? And I'm like, this guy, he also made Under Siege, which I didn't yep. realize, and he made one of my favorite movies of all times and one of the best thrillers um, I feel to come out in the past thirty years, The Fugitive. Yep. Amazing, amazing movie. And while I was watching this movie, I'm like, okay, the camera work is good. Um, the pacing's as good as it can be. You know, every all the pieces are in place. I feel like you have a director who is not terrible and sometimes very good working with this ham of an actor. And I feel like Seagal dragged him down. And and I, I wonder if Seagal had less input on Under Siege, which is what made it so much better. You'd also, hope- let's face it, the supporting cast in Under Siege saves that freaking movie. I mean, come on. We have a supporting cast. I mean, Gary Busey before he loses his marbles. Tommy Lee Jones is awesome. Yeah, Tommy Lee this, Jones' villain is cast, all nothing. time. There's nothing. Oh, it's 100%. But like you yeah. also see a lot of reused actors from this that go into the fugitive. I mean, the Chicago cops in this, they are oh, yeah. directly Everyone sounds like the bears. It's yeah. like, and right. I mean, those cops <laughs> are so Chicago. I was waiting for one of them to start pounding his chest while, like, while, he, while he's eating a sausage. That's a baker's dozen there, Bob. Also, I'm really disappointed. I didn't see a single deep dish pizza in this movie. Not one deep dish, not not one Chicago beef, not even a hot dog. We right, saw exactly. no Lou Malnati's. We saw no Pizzeria Uno. We saw none of it. I think no we saw, Giordano's. We saw one Vienna beef sign. Oh, we did see Vienna beef. That's fair. Yeah. You represent Vienna beef. <laughs> <laughs> I told our illustrious guest here, Chris Lindstrom, host of Food About Town podcast, the, uh, the foodie among us, the legitimate, knowledgeable foodie. Compared to myself, this is no knock to... I consider both Dom and Magic Man Matt probably more knowledgeable and cultured about uh, the gastronomical arts than myself. I'm uh, I had Wendy's for lunch today, so that's all you need to know. Uh, um, I had rice aroni for dinner. Keep talking. <laughs> all right. Well, we're in good company. But I did let Chris know that I was expecting him to give us a full discourse on the history of Chicago cuisine. So, Chris, the next forty-five minutes are yours. <laughs> yeah. So now we're going to go into the history. <laughs> Yeah, so we're we're gonna talk about uh, was it Upton Sinclair and the yeah. sausage making? 
<laughs> yeah, we're gonna go deep history. No, it's um, you know, there's there is it is a fascinating food city, and obviously they've uh, you know with the uh, popularity of the bear, everybody's talking about Chicago beef sandwiches. Everybody's talking about Chicago now as a city. Oh, which, I, it's a great Chris, city to visit, and it's so fun. You shouldn't have brought that up because so just fun fact. On the side here, uh, my friend Chris here is someone that I, now that I know Chris and I have his number more importantly, anytime I have like an interest in like I want to eat something, I'm just, I'm texting Chris constantly. I'm like, dude, I need to eat this. Where can I find it? Gotta get so, it. So this week, you know, because of the bear, I texted Chris and I was like, all right, who has the best Italian beef sandwich in town? And apparently there's none in Rochester, so... You do, my guy. Make it yourself. Yeah, you know, we're, we're a bit far from Chicago in the Midwest, so like we, we dabble in stuff like that. But you know what? Chicago is Chicago's a cool town, and it's a great place to go visit. Um, amazing Mexican food scene. It's the you know, like Mexican food capital of the north. Uh, uh, between there and like Milwaukee, they're like some of the highest populations, so you get amazing traditional Mexican food and modern Mexican as well. Um, obviously, the... You know the the street food. You know your Italian beefs, your uh, your Italian beefs, and your uh, uh, other sandwiches like that are tremendous. It's a great place to go eat. And hot dogs. Oh, you got to get the hot dogs. Chicago no, dogs. no ketchup, or else they will absolutely destroy you. <laughs> and <Sorry>. Colombian cakes. <laughs> yes, noted Chicago delicacy: white cake from Colombia. <laughs> Big wads of white cake. <laughs> Uh, to tie it back into the movie, you know what was pretty crazy is that shootout at the meatpacking plant that made no fucking sense. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like all the little scenes like that, like between that and the bar scene. Yeah, I mean, both of those, like they they so much happens, but so little happens all at the same time. <laughs> The thing I enjoy about the fights in this movie, and Dom, I'm going to tag you in in a minute to talk about Aikido, if, if you if you would. Uh, the thing I enjoy about the fight scenes in this movie is you always know when Seagal's about to get in a fight because he taps somebody on the shoulder that is obviously a stuntman. Because <laughs> it's always got guys that wear wear like a, a size 60 sport coat and their heads are like <laughs> giant blocks. And those are the guys, hey, what time is it? And then he just proceeds to kick the ever-living shit out of them. <laughs> So it, it, it's my favorite thing about the fight scenes in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, that's something I was wondering about as well, Matt, was like, like I, I think I conceptually understand what Aikido is, but like I don't know a lot about it. And like it would help if like somebody could actually describe it to me. Well, that's what it. we have our that's professor here, here for. I'm not, I, that's actually why I'm here. Uh, <laughs> so when uh, so so uh, Stromy, just to give you some reference, like um, I'm not from Rochester, and like Mike pulled me on later on. He's like, "Can you be like our resident scientist slash martial martial arts guy?" So I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Judo. Um, so anyway, let's talk about Aikido. I know a couple of people who do Aikido. It's an interesting martial art. It's not as ancient as it seems. It's actually one of the more recent martial arts. It came out like uh, 1930s. And um, so it's derived from like jujitsu. And I don't mean like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I mean like old school jiu-jitsu, actually the Eastern style of jiu-jitsu. Uh -huh. And the premise of the martial art is it actually means unifying, unifying energy way, which uh, to, to simplify it, it's a lot of throws. It's a lot of locks. It's a lot of disarming your opponent. It's trying to 
obviously not get yourself damaged, but also you don't want to damage your uh, opponent. It's actually a very gentle martial art in that way that you're not doing you're doing as little as you can to hurt your opponent, even if your opponent's trying to like go at you with a sword. So, so um, was which I, I find in? Go ahead. Was I was I wrong to like see some see some ties to judo as well? It seemed like a lot of leverage moves, a lot of like you know like hip related things and tosses. Other than like the WWE clotheslines that he did, like oh, it's actually an aikido move. That's okay. That's, uh, interesting. So I uh, so I, so judo and aikido. Um, Yes, both involve throws. So, but judo works with basic premise of um, getting what's called a kazushi. So you 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 get into a stance, you you grab the other person uh, one way or another, and you try to move them so they're off balance, which is the kazushi, and then essentially you throw them. And all throws, if you want to, like my sensei, who's like you know Rokudan, he's been doing it for forever. He says basically all judo moves are lift the guy up a little bit and then throw them down. So you're trying to get the guy off balance, get him on his toes or get him leaning the wrong way and then throw them down. Aikido works a little bit differently because it works. It, 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 it's on the premise that the you have an attacker coming at you and you want to redirect their force. So you're not redirecting them. You're not trying to get them to re- react to get the Kazushi. They're giving you energy and you are redirecting their energy in order to flip them or to throw them or to do a joint lock or to subdue them right so it's the idea that you reroute their energy and you throw them on the ground or you put them down and then the fight's over which is another major difference between aikido and judo judo has lots of newaza which is groundwork in fact brazilian jiu-jitsu is just derived from judo it's essentially mm. less rules ground judo okay why but aikido has zero judo? groundwork that's a good question why isn't it brazilian judo why isn't it you know i don't i've always wondered that myself so <laughs> so brazilian jiu- no no I, i've always wondered i've never actually I never actually asked. Um, so yeah, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is directly derived from from judo. The Gracies learned it from a judo master whose name oh. escapes me right now. I'm ashamed of myself. I don't know why. I, I mean, judo is derived from jiu-jitsu, so okay. that's a really it's good question. Thing, I, I got, right? You know what? I'm going to have to come back next week because I guarantee you I, I, I could find out in like 10 <laughs> minutes. That's our professor. He knows all the answers. Yeah. So- <laughs> don't you know everything? No. Um, <laughs> So what I also find funny is that if you watch interviews of Steven Seagal, and I did to prepare for this. Oh, I'm sorry. He's not. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he's not very Aikido-y. He, you know, I, like I said, Aikido is all about like trying to redirect people's momentum and not trying to hurt your attacker as much as possible. And he is constantly throwing out, separate the brainstem from the spinal cord, <laughs> gouge the guy's I well, smash his face like he's the least Aikido-y Aikido guy I think out there like he's talking <laughs> all about how it's such a lethal and dangerous martial art and like I don't think that's I don't think that's I'm not an Aikido guy but I don't think that's that's Aikido shtick at all yeah, so I'd separating- love to hear from anyone who's out there please but I don't get the impression that it's it's goal is to really do the damage that Seagal touts it to do yeah so separating oh. brain stems isn't like a centering of somebody else's energy and, <laughs> and being delicate no. balance of things it, it centers well, some things it centers see, a lot of energy so here's something I want to call out right this is where I think it's important 
to get to. So we, when we talked about Jean-Claude Van Damme earlier when we did Bloodsport, we talked about, you know, before Van Damme came, you know, and he had his little hissy fit as the Predator, um, which if you've seen the fantastic movie Prey, I highly recommend you look up the video. We put it on our Twitter account of Van Damme, the story of Van Damme as the Predator. Uh, side note, but... Van Damme had a legitimate history in, uh, I think it was Shotokan Karate, correct? I believe so. I believe, but he was a like a national champion in Belgium, had a long competitive history before he got into acting. Wait, he didn't, he, he wasn't born in the U.S.? I could never have told. <laughs> yeah, he's the, the muscles from Brussels, Ohio. Oh, see, yeah. this makes sense. I, I've learned so much today. He Actually, the muscles come from Brussels sprouts. He did where Popeye had the can of spinach and ate it. Uh, and, see, this all makes sense. Right, John Claude would can pop we, the can interrupt. of Brussels sprouts. I want to talk about muscles. I want to talk about muscles because <laughs> let's – okay, okay. What the hell? Okay, if you are putting everything you have into becoming the next martial arts action star, you have Steven Seagal's body. <laughs> like he looks like – I mean come on. Like uh, I, Roger I, Ebert in his review I believe called him jacked. <laughs> and I was like, is he watching the, I mean, it's my favorite muscular move of him is his running style where he just like flips his hand yeah. around like Jack Hovistor or something. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is this? It's like the exact opposite of Tom Cruise with the like stiff karate chop running. It's like you got Thomas chopping and Steven Seagal's just like flippy flopping out there while he's running. We were it was ridiculous. We were trying to figure out what the arm move was because it's kind of like the, the inflatable used car yes, guy. That's right. Yeah, it's but- wacky waving of it's like he has Jack like officer is a great way to put that. <laughs> it's like it's it's like a nonsensical fluidity to motion. Like it's like fluidity, but without any base or like muscular base. It's just like completely free flowing. Yeah. I don't know if anybody remembers back in the early two thousands there was a game called Quop. Q W O P. That sounds Did familiar. anybody play that? So it was Is this a, like a flash game? It was a flash game and you had to try to make somebody run and you could use the letters Q W O and P and each one corresponded to an arm or a leg. Okay. And you had to sync it up just right to get him to move, or you just fall ass over tea kettle constantly. So <laughs> I think what, I know this one. When yeah. you got the motion right in Quop, he runs like Steven Seagal. <laughs> the best case is Steven Seagal. The best case run. Because he has a gait like no human I've ever seen in my life. I don't know how he can be a martial artist and supposed to have grace and run like that man does. Because he kind of looks like the T-1000. Yeah. (laughs) But like if he had some sort of palsy. (laughs) So so this is what I want to talk about with Steve. I just want to get into for a moment Steven Seagal's quote-unquote martial arts experience. So Seagal, so he... Didn't like start at 10 with martial arts. The story he tells is that he was living in California, going to college, and he saw, this might ring a bell to something we heard earlier, a friendly old Japanese man in Garden Grove, California, who encouraged him to visit Japan. And while he was there, he met a girl who was whose family had an Aikido studio, and supposedly, according to him, he became the first white man to ever teach become a master in Japan. Uh, what we do know is that he kind of went through the mid-70s mid to early 80s, kind of back and forth with Japan, where he was in Japan, kind of with his wife's family. Then he just left his family in Osaka, came to America, first in New Mexico, to start an Aikido school. 
Um, that apparently, like the people that actually ran it said, well, he wasn't really around. He was trying to like drum up business and maybe acting at that time. Went back to went back to Japan. Hooked up with a guy. Um, oh, I'm gonna mispronounce this. Hario Matsoka, who is a legitimate. Aikido martial artist brought him to Hollywood where he opened a dojo and that's where he met his agent that uh, Matt told us that story before that the agent was kind of like I could make anybody a star so the story goes but what we do know is that so this movie in particular when they Andrew Davis was looking to make this they actually had Chuck Norris in mind for this movie that they wanted Ooh, but that was Chuck perfect. Norris who that's someone we haven't gotten into yet uh, we have to do a Norris movie because uh, just like Seagal, as much as this guy's cringy, we can't talk, especially people like us that grew up in the 80s, 90s, you can't talk about martial arts movies that we grew up with without landing on Seagal. Uh, well, Andrew, so, Davis, Andrew Davis worked with um, Chuck Norris. Right, he did, did so the do? movie it's before Code of Silence, Code of Silence yeah. and apparently there's a lot of from that movie that fits into this movie as well. So, um, But I guess Chuck Norris... Uh, had a contract with Canon, who we talked about with Bloodsport, legendary Canon Studios. Probably in the middle of making one of the missing in action movies. Yeah, exactly. And Canon said, no, you can't have him. He's ours. So this is where Seagal came in. And Seagal, to get this, the studio said, you know, we really want an actual martial artist for this, which is kind of weird because, uh, as you guys mentioned, if you look at, if I imagine the plot of this movie, I don't know anywhere where, like, martial arts is not an integral part of this movie at all. Like, you could have just said he's a badass. I mean, it is, but then you... You think you're rough stuff, Toscani. Martial arts hero, chop suey crap. Let me tell you something. You're not bulletproof. You're not even a good cop. Really? You sneak around playing your street dick games, and all you come up with is conjecture, wild coincidence, and bullshit. <laughs> like, <laughs> just like this movie. <laughs> Well, the funny thing about uh, I'll I'll save that. I yeah. all I want to say the last thing I with this chopsaki crap, or chop suey crap, is that uh, Seagal had to do this this audition for the studio and he wowed them. And I imagine the audition looked much like what we saw in the beginning of this movie because from what I read, it was an audition, but he actually staged it with his students at this studio. So. It's basically all these people who are probably assisting him with it. Yeah, because that that demo so, at the beginning. Yeah, go ahead. So, um, so it's not as much. I mean, I know we expect bullshit from Steven Seagal, and there's plenty, but actually, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, Aikido is the kind of martial art where you do a kata. Um, sure. You do you do do some randori, which is sparring. But the impression that I get is there's lots of kata. Kata is where you work with. So you're you are the person that does the thing. You're the uke. I mean, you're the tori. I'm sorry. And the person that receives the move that you're doing is the uke. So they probably were doing a kata style thing where you know Sagal was the tori and he had a student be the uke and he showed off the move. And so I don't think it's not unheard of. Um, and also I, I'd like to comment on the actual Aikido. Like I said, I don't know Aikido, but I know enough about martial arts and it looks legit. Like, I mean, he did okay. actual Aikido moves. Like he, like, I don't know if he could actually fight, but clearly against a non-struggling opponent, like he did the moves properly. And I have to say, I, I mean, I haven't watched a Seagal movie since Fire Down Below came out, and um, I'm kind of happy about that. Um, but, but have you watched an episode? But Aikido of really lends itself well to 
to to the movies like how effective it is on the street aside like all the flips and all the wrist locks and all the shoulder locks like that um that clothesline thing that's a legit legit move move i, I might be mispronouncing it um it's irimi nagi which is basically an enter throw so the guy comes at you and you redirect him and then put your arm up and then clothesline him down and he does it like six times in the movie and i got to admit it looks pretty impressive like for sure he does the breath power throw which is coke uh coke i believe and that's the one where he does the arm lock and he flips the guy over there's the corner drop where he, ah, yes. he did sumo toshi where he takes the guy's hand he lifts the elbow up uh actually when he disarms the guy with the gun that's a legit move too the way that he does he pushes to one side lift the gun up and then flips him back oh, okay um he deflects all kinds of things with the ukinagashi, which is basically where you know you grab it and you, you redirect the guy's arm so like they're they basically can't move anymore. And then while they're essentially standing in a position where they're immobile, he does like you know those like quick elbow shots and the quick like um palm shots to the head all that stuff i mean i, I gotta admit i did a lot of googling and a lot of youtubing <laughs> but i mean because I, mean, I don't know aikido but today. like i mean it, 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 these are moves he he's good okay. at okay so so i'd like so what i'm saying is probably i think if i were to predict based on this movie he probably did train quite a bit did earn his black belt he probably is very good at katas and you know working against a non-struggling opponent and that <laughs> translates well to the movie um how tough he is on the street <laughs> you know so based on your professional experience i need to ask you about two stories about uh mr seagal <laughs> number one what are the chances he actually taught anderson silva anything <laughs> <laughs> the Anderson Silva? Oh. Yeah, because he, he said he trained both Machida and Anderson Silva. <laughs> trained with, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. He uh, claims yeah. what? Well, and he I, claimed I, I, he trained Couture, like, right? Oh, Did he trained it, him like. No, well, there, yeah, there's some bad bad stuff with Randy Couture, too. <laughs> but yeah, so that was, yeah, that no. was my first yeah, question. No. Any shot he trained Anderson Silva, like you said. And number two, uh, do you think Judo Gene LaBelle really made him shit his pants? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I do. Yeah. Wait, what? Uh, I, I need yeah. to hear this story. So you have not heard this story? Allegedly. Apocryphal, probably. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Uh, Judo Gene LaBelle, rest in peace, just passed away like last week. Oh. Um, told a story at one point about how they were on set of some movie. I don't know which one. And Seagal was walking around talking about how nobody could choke him out. He, there was no way any, <laughs> any human on earth could choke him out. So he went up and I think it was the story that he got him in a rear naked. Judo yes, Gene did. It was, it was rear naked. Yeah. Yeah. Got him in a, a rear naked and, and Judo Gene um, choked him <laughs> out. He's like, ah, he must've been tired. Cause yeah, he, he fell asleep and then he must've had a big meal before. Cause yeah, he just <laughs> completely lost control of everything and just shit and pissed all over the floor. So allegedly, allegedly, Judo Gene LaBelle choked him out to the point that he voided himself. Yeah, so rear naked choke, essentially, it's you're behind the guy, and the idea is, is you know, you have your... If you were to imagine this, if you've never seen a rear naked choke, um, the person is behind you. They have their um, arm wrapped around your head. It's like a sleeper hold. Their elbow is pushed as far over as you can bring it. And they essentially lock their hand on their own bicep and create like it's, it looks like a sleeper hold. Um, there's lots of ways to do it. You can do it standing. In judo, you typically don't. Typically, you do it from the ground. So 
when Judo Gene was saying like he basically tried to hit me in the junk and it didn't work out, like it's not you. It's that's not easy to do because if you have your what are called your hooks, essentially your feet locked into the guy. I don't see how Seagal could have done that. And also, it's Judo Gene. That guy has been hitting the nuts so many times. Come on. Come on. You think that's going to stop him? Please. I I don't know if that story is true, but it definitely could have been true. I, I well, think we all hope it's true. Yeah. I, I, hope it, I think that that is feasible. a punches and popcorn fact. It's totally feasible. Now, yeah. He shit in pants. He shit his pants. Yeah. And so th- this is good to bring up because well, we don't know – the legitimacy and like the talent uh, of actual Aikido that Seagal has. There are two things that we do know he has incredible. Um, I don't know if talent is the right word, but a long track history with yeah. one of those is hitting stuntmen, uh, which led to the judo gene incident. They're notoriously stuntmen would tell stories about, yeah, he just full on hit me when we're doing these scenes. So he doesn't have a good reputation there. I mean, the that- other- that whole intro was chuck full of him just beating the shit out of people right. legit. Like those were all shit. Oh yeah, hits. and in like, and in some of those other some of the other movies in the first four, like some of the stuff he does is like if it was pulled or it was acted, I would have been shocked because some of the stuff is really brutal that I in some of the other movies. So yes. So the other thing that I know he is that we know he is fantastic at. Yeah, I think that is an important it's an important point, you know, talking about, yes, we know he was abusive to, uh, you know, to, to stunt people, but uh, at least uh, according to uh, according to sources that he was pretty noted for being terrible to uh, women, uh, women co-stars in his movies. Uh, you can certainly look up any number of mm. allegations that occurred. And he was, I mean, for all intents and purposes, and thankfully this is a term you can use very liberally, uh, Stephen Seagal is a bad person. Like, like there is, there is no, I don't think you need to equivocate about that. Like he's a bad person and we can either enjoy or hate, enjoy these movies. And I do, I'm, I, I'm not shy about that. I love under siege. I enjoy watching these movies. Um, Steven Seagal is a bad person and you know, all these movies that we watch with these kind of contexts, we do have to at least note that he is an actively bad person. But he did win the 1999 PETA Humanitarian Award. <laughs> that definitely makes up that, for all of helps. the other things. Um, and I would like to note, so he once made, he once, uh, in his many outside ventures, uh, had his own energy drink called Lightning Bolt, and then later made an aftershave called Scent of Action that we could ask, what is the scent of action? But what I want to ask is, what are the chances that the unsold bottles of Lightning Bolt became scent of action? <laughs> yeah, they, they just added a, a hint of cordite, and that's all that was. Right. Uh, it's that C4. <laughs> I was going to say, it smells like C4 and hair grease. <laughs> I know what it smells like. I know what it blows like. <laughs> so I, I, I know we've, we've talked a lot about Seagal. I do want to, I do want to mention... That um, we had, like, we did, like, the character actors in this are tremendous. So, like, uh, Henry Silva as the bad guy is playing, is chewing the absolute most scenery possible. Like, he is he is chewing every bit of every moment he's in the movie and he plays like, I think the best version of a low rent Ricardo Montalban, like the whole movie. He's just so big. <laughs> like every moment he's on screen is just so tremendous. And like, 
is he good? No, he's not good. But like, you can't not enjoy watching him mm-hmm. try to be that um, noted star of uh, the Anomaly Film Festival in the 1980 classic Alligator as well. Yes, right. And Choppy know, Boy Ramon. Just what one of the tremendous like. Just one of those guys when you see him on screen, you're like, oh, yeah, he's awesome. Um, and then I think we do have to you know, remark again on uh, Pam Graham. Sure, at some point we'll touch on uh, other movies that she's been in. But like when her like it's like the re- whole beginning of the movie, she's more demure and like neutral. And then as soon as her hair goes from like generic niece to like a bigger hairstyle, like a more natural hairstyle, she just goes completely charismatic and turns amazing for like the last third of the movie until oh, yeah. she gets shot. Like it's and even tremendous. then she gets shot and she's like up and like running to find him. Like what feels like 20 minutes later, a hundred percent. Um, and yeah, it's like, I think that's the, the, maybe the best saving grace of the movie. Yes. Some of the Aikido stuff's decent. Some of the actions. Okay. But yeah, a lot of the co-stars in this are really fun. And there's some fantastic cameos in this movie. So that some of them are like real blink and you're miss it. So, uh, Dino Dom caught Michael Rooker in the bar. Oh yeah. That was a good one. Oh, yeah. Yondu is there. Yep. He's in I'm there. Mary Poppins y'all <laughs> somewhere in that bar scene is also John C. Riley. I've watched, I watched it a couple times. I can't pick him out, but didn't see him. his wow. role yep, is thug in bar. And this is John C. Riley's first movie. Awesome. That's Which is tremendous. funny. Like I I'm glad that at first I was like, Oh, is he one of the guys that he beats up, but not like one of the super aggressive guys. Cause it's hard for me to imagine John C. Riley is threatening in any way. <laughs> yeah, no, um, he's a man without a jawline. There's no way to go <laughs> through anything at him. Yeah. Right. So and, uh, also to be fair, like Chelsea Ross, you know, the guy from major league and from yep. uh, Hoosiers and basic instinct, like he's, I mean, every moment he's in the movie is just like dripping with that. Like, Oh yeah. CIA agent confidence, you know, CIA back, you know, backwater stuff. Yeah. The, the, the gross spook energy that you get from like the, the late eighties spies in these. Oh movies. yeah. He's so oh, but good. Let's talk. So we need to right now talk about the best spy in this movie. The man only known via the credits as CIA bartender. Oh, it's just tremendous. I mean, like all those kind of things is like, like if you can have that in your name in a movie, you have to be proud of yourself. It's way better than thug in bar. <laughs> or like, you guys know he's like famous. He's got his own Wikipedia page. Like he's a session musician. Like he's played like it says here. So his name is Ronnie Barron. Right. Yep. Um, Sounds right. In in the movie, he kind of looks like a lizard with a wig on. Like, I mean, come on, he looks oh, so, so this, weird. This is an important question. I so one thing about this movie that I love is the prolific number of mullets. And I would question, oh. like, could you call what would you call Seagull's hair a mullet? It, I don't. Uh, but I. But before we get into anyone else, we need to talk about CIA bartender's hair because yeah. I. What do you call that? Is it a mullet? Is it a rat's nest? Is it early Donald Trump? No, I, I don't like it's every time he's on, I just missed that hair catches me and I'm just it, trying to figure out what is this thing? It's definitely a mullet, but I think there's also like a cloud of brown fog on top of it. <laughs> right. It, it's like there. it's the kind of hairstyle that when he has it, it's like this is all he is, but it's the <laughs> worst haircut for him as a person. Like it couldn't be a worse haircut oh. for that human being. The way he's shaped, it doesn't work. It looks like it feels like dry straw. <laughs> 
Like, like it, <laughs> it, it, it feel it looks like it it makes crinkle noises if you were to touch it, which is a weird thing. Like those weird dog toys that have the plastic in them. And I would like to. So I was thinking back to this. Right, the whole just the preposterousness that this guy keeps coming into the movie, CIA bartender. You're like, it, so going back to the plot, the preposterousness of this plot. I'm thinking back, and I'm like, why does the CIA have a bartender? Oh, is that part of the story that like this? That, you know, this gang is running through the bar. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The only reason he runs into him in the first place is because he's looking for his like cousin, knee cousin or something like that. Cousin. That's hooking up with like that has Love. nothing really to do right with any of the like rest of the story. But he just happens to be the super aggressive bartender there. And then, yeah. oh, he's also working for the CIA. So nice. They put him in twice. Also, I, I think Seagal was there looking for his law shaker of salt. Um, <laughs> So, so there's actually that's actually a plot point. I watched that fight scene so I could get the aikido down. Well, my 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 limited knowledge of aikido down. Were you just standing in your living room doing katas? Because that's kind of (laughs) (laughs) like like DDR, but to above the law. I think you have to wait until your your kid is at least one to do aikido moves on them. (laughs) Well, he has. (laughs) There is the older one, and I imagine her watching you. Being like, what is daddy doing? <laughs> so, 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 no, I watched that scene a couple times and I was like, why was he in there? I don't know why. Well, he was clearly looking for his cousin. Right. But it's actually a plot device. So he goes in, asks about his cousin, beats the crap out of everyone, goes upstairs, beats the crap out of her, his cousin's boyfriend. And then his, and then that guy, the uh, boyfriend, gives him intel uh, about right. the drop. Yeah, and that sets up the thing at the meat market. So, like, I uh, feel like yes. I feel okay. like the bones of this script made sense. Like, I feel like buried under this crap is a script that's something that makes sense. But yeah, so that so that was actually that was actually a plot point. <laughs> so yeah, the only oh, okay, one. Okay, all right. So there's a, well, we are slowly uncovering the onion that is this plot. Congratulations for uncovering uncovering the one plot point. <laughs> Great job! Oh, it's so, like playing Where's by Waldo. By the way, by the way, speaking of cameos, did you guys catch the who's the 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 hairy dude from Sons of Anarchy? Oh yeah, I don't know what the actor's name is. Mark, Mark Boone Walker, I want to say. Yes, that is. sounds yeah. right. Yeah. Right, he's, he's just he's, like looking, he's looking down from the window. Yeah. When oh, that's the scene where like all these these like five guys with assault rifles last yeah come out last at him, but then he just points a pistol at one of them and disarms them all. Yeah, You're like yeah, uh-huh. I mm, okay. And they went back to the same reaction scene of the two women smoking cigarettes outside of the window like three times. <laughs> I didn't yeah. notice that. <laughs> yeah, so, and also here's yeah. the my favorite cameo. I'm sorry, I gotta jump in. My oh, favorite please. cameo. Did you guys catch? You know uh, when he brings the FBI agent at gunpoint to the to the whole to the locker, or I don't know what they call it, where they keep um, evidence. Oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about with like the the guys behind a fence, and he walks him in. He's like, yeah, I heard you guys had some C4 here. That guy behind that fence is the guy in the video that Macaulay Culkin watches in Home Alone. Keep the change, you filthy Oh, really? Animal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. Best cameo. Like. Stromy yelled that out the other night when we watched this, and I about <laughs> lost my damn mind. <laughs> well, there's our Shit. Chicago connection there. The great Chicago movie this tied movie, in here. This movie is more Chicago than The Untouchables. <laughs> 
and, and so my wife saw that, and she caught that. And also, I think the best thing is watching it. So she's never seen a Seagal movie. She's not into those kind of movies. So she goes, wait, this movie's really old, right? And I go, why do you say that? It's like, isn't this the guy who later on played coach in the sitcom Coach? And I'm like, Steven Seagal is not Craig T. Nelson. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that would have been a but very different show. <laughs> I would watch the shit out of that show. Yeah. <laughs> Seagal is coach. I don't know if you've ever seen a single episode of Steven Seagal Law, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes, she go. I, then she's like, "Well, he's a martial. It's a martial arts movie, right?" I go, "Yeah, he does Aikido." And she goes, "He's on keto diet." Did he come up with <laughs> decidedly not. And I'm like, "No, definitely not." If you see him later. <laughs> oh, speaking of, uh, that's a great connection to another show that. Uh, so please welcome after Seagal Star did. Hero, Steven Seagal, South Park. You got a problem with me? I'm your worst nightmare. I have no fear of death. More important, I don't fear life. I'm a big action movie star, and people are pretty stoked on me. I think that pretty much sums up his entire late career at this point. <laughs> I think at the end of that clip, he clotheslines uh, clotheslines Cartman for some reason. I think, I think so. that's right, yeah. yeah. So, like... We've we've talked a lot about so many different aspects of this movie. I I guess I have a question. Um, did you guys like this movie? I I I think it's a really actually interesting question because we've talked a lot of good and we've talked ridiculous and like all the other stuff. Did you guys like this movie? <sighs> wow, that is a pregnant pause from all of us. I saw Dom like I've never seen him more animated. Two thumbs down on the video. Okay, okay, I can say this. So so here's the thing. So. I, I like, so I actually, we were talking about, let me put this in context. So I was talking to Jason, who unfortunately is not here. Um, yes, and we miss we you, Jason. About, we were talking about Predator 2. And he goes, <laughs> Predator 2 has aged like a fine wine. It's gotten better with time. And I agree with this. Predator 2 is schlock, right? And it's like, it's just hammy and dumb and fun. And I watch Predator 2 now. I'm like, this movie's great. I love it. I love it. It's not a good movie, but it's a good movie in quotes, right? It's an awesomely bad movie is another way of putting it. Right? Whereas Predator 1 is just a straight up friggin' good. So you got good movies and then you have air quotes, good movies. This movie is neither of them, right? It's yeah. not accidentally good. It's not appropriately bad. It's a movie that's trying to be good, but is just bad. It's a misfire, and yeah. I have no patience for misfires. <laughs> no, no I, this movie's a misfire. Yeah, that's I think I, I think I kind of agree with you there because I think out of the first four movies, Hard to Kill marked marked for death and out for justice. I think this is the least enjoyable of the four, and it it really does like it's not the one I'm going to go back and rewatch. Having rewatched it now, I don't think I'm going to go back and. Re- watch it right mm. yeah it's and it's the but this is the only one that to me is nominally martial arts and mostly just because of that intro scene though it makes me feel a little better having tom break down where we actually see real aikido in it like i mean the best the most notable is under siege the the reason that we didn't start with that one is because it is i'm trying to and i've watched it a few times recently like is there any martial art it's more of an action movie and the other reason i haven't done that is because i would like i think it would be interesting or cool maybe if we covered that to have 
I don't know if like any of our friends here know someone that was a Navy SEAL that we could talk a little bit about like what's, you know, they have hand-to-hand -hand training. So a little bit about like what I would, it would be awesome to have someone come on and talk about like what's the actual training that they get. And then it, it, again, give us some authenticity. Does anything in this look uh, like? I'll put a feeler out and see if we can Jeff, Jesse Ventura in. Yeah. <laughs> That's our man. Oh yeah. He is a sexual tyrannosaurus. <laughs> I just want to do a show with him. He's fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And who also gave big props to the movie Prey that we talked about before, which if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's freaking amazing. So uh, as far as whether I like it or not, um, honestly, walking away from this at the end, the bigger question I had was I really wondered at the end of this movie how much the QAnon people love this movie. So we already know Seagal, uh, we've talked a little bit about his friendship with Russia and all things of that nature. But when you watch this movie, like the above the law, I was thinking like, oh, it's the cops that are the criminals. Maybe that was out for justice that it's like he's battling crooked, crooked cops. But no, the bad guys who's above the law in this movie is the CIA. And I'm watching like this final quote that they have is basically like a textbook description of what that's like that type of that right-wing conspiracy theory community now would call the deep state. Like, I wondered, like, is this a holy movie for them? Do they watch this? And they're like, this is our man Seagal battling the deep state. Like, look at the deep state was happening back in the 80s. Like, this is, if someone told me this came out of 4chan, I would completely believe it. Yeah. I'll buy that. I can't disagree. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I think it is. this is one of the holy texts. Yeah. <laughs> but it... Uh, I mean, I've said before, I, I do not like Steven Seagal as a person, as an action star, as... Yeah. Uh, other than a cartoon in South Park, yeah. I have no enjoyment for him. But uh, the movie overall, it, it had the beats of interesting 80s action movie. It was cool to see Pam Greer. Anything that gets her in it is cool. It's... For like the five minutes when I saw Sharon Stone's name in the intro, I was like, oh, sweet, this is going to be awesome. And then, I mean, she might as well have not been in it because she did absolutely nothing not to because of her role i mean she was given no room to do anything in this movie uh so but the saving grace for me is definitely cia bartender and is rat's nest mullet that is yeah. that is majestic yeah. and that is and i just love how how much he loves just like loudly cursing in front of crowds of people and calling them a motherfucker. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever seen someone enjoy calling another person that word so much. And I think that like you just see that enjoyment electrify that mullet. So it makes it really special for me. I have to invite you to Easter Sunday at my house. Next year. <laughs> also, there were a lot of Italian slurs that I totally forgot. About. Yeah. I was like, whoa, I remember that one. Like, yeah, they, they I, went. Feel, I feel like it's such a dated stereotype that like, and he threw out half of them. Like it was, oh, I don't want to say them on the air, but yeah, I no, kinda do. but there was, Can no, I? it's my, uh, it's I, me. It, like, I mean, hey, it's you, it's your culture. If I say it, now, you'll have I to break my neck, but we've transported back to Chicago in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> have at it let him rip if you really want to um, <laughs> just just we'll, we'll isolate him and put him up for your first lecture this year <laughs> well i got tenure so <laughs> <laughs> uh, well i don't know if i have much more that i can stomach of seagull on this but what i'm hoping is that you'll really uh you'll put a nice cherry on this dom with uh some science 
All right. So um, I was racking my brains for a science segment. Um, I was, yeah, all kinds of stuff. But one of the things that they do twice in this movie, and I can't think of another movie where they do it more than once, is the truth serum thing. Oh, you yes. see this in a lot of movies in the eighties and I Remember, uh, was it a True Lies where they give Arnold the truth serum and oh, like, yeah. and he like basically tells them exactly how he's gonna kill them and he's like you know those handcuffs i picked them Glaw! and then he kills them all and it's freaking awesome right <laughs> yeah. so, it's a really good arnie too <laughs> <laughs> thank you crom <laughs> okay anyway i'll stop um so like i'm like is that like in the movies it's great because you know they'll the guy comes up with this syringe that looks like a turkey baster and then gives it to the guy and then the guy's like i wore my mom's underwear in sixth grade and they'll just spew out all the freaking you know all of their secrets right is that legit um so like the pursuit of a truth serum the history of this is very interesting so like governments have been pursuing truth serums for a long time and they started to like i believe around cold war post-world war ii um, post-World War One, post-World War Two, Cold War, around that whole chunk. Like, that's really when they started to dig into it. And basically, they were like, okay, what kind of psychoactive drugs can we give someone to make them specifically not lie and also tell us stuff? And there's... There's a whole laundry list. You got like nightshade toxins. They've tried QNB. There's benzodiazepines. There's rohypnol, LSD, and good old fashioned booze. Like getting pe- getting prisoners drunk to try to to try to tell you things is actually a thing. But like, like, let's cut to the chase. The most famous one is sodium. Pe- uh, what is it? Pentothal. Pentothal. That's how you. Ah, uh, yes. Right. Yeah, sodium pentothal. It's actually That's a word not the name of the chemical. It's the brand name of a barbiturate that's actually called sodium thiopentol, right? They made it. In, they first made it in 1936, and it's it's really interesting how it works. It was originally supposed to be a painkiller, um, and it didn't do anything for pain. What happened is, if they give you high enough doses, it knocks you out, right? Um, so they still actually use it or a derivative of it in anesthesia, and that's what they give you first before lethal injection. So oh, they fine. knock you out. And then they kill you. So it's like a stepwise thing. Um, it's basically a barbiturate. Like uh, and barbiturates are actually really interesting drugs because um, they imitate a the neurotransmitter GABA. Now I, I won't dig into this too much, but what a neurotransmitter is is it's the chemical used uh, for neurons, or we'll call them brain cells or um, neural tissue or cells that like communicate with one another. That's how they communicate. So one cell will spit out a neurotransmitter, the other cell will pick it up, and then it will or will not send a signal, and then the process continues and continues and continues right uh, GABA is one of those now the more GABA you your cells release the more the cells that receive it will fire those cells tend to reduce excitability so what happens is if you give someone um, the this drug the these barbiturates what will happen is it mimics um, the the neurotransmitter. So what happens is those cells will will act more and the result is is you will be less excitable, your essentially will calm down too much, you knock out. But a lower dose 
relaxes you a lot and relaxes you almost to the point of a trance-like state, right? And they mm. started using this actually for people with PTSD or what they called back in the day shell shock. So you had these soldiers that were shell shock. They're all messed up from the war. And when people, they were, when doctors were trying to talk to them, they were just too rattled to bring up their experiences and rightfully so. So they gave them this drug and they would chill out and they would be able to talk. So then they tried to do it with um, prisoners. They're like, all right, so we have these prisoners. We need to inter- interrogate them. It, since it chills out these soldiers who are under duress, why don't we see if it'll induce, you know, a truth-telling situation in these people? Um, so here's the thing. If you're this relaxed, it's really hard to make things up. But what happens is you're so relaxed, you just talk. And so what happens is they would shoot people up with this, quote, truth serum. And they would just babble on about whatever, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and so they'd be like, so are you going to answer the question? And they're like, well, and they would just keep talking and talking. So And also they'd become super suggestible. So it actually a truth serum is better to get your person to lie, your interrogating to lie in the way you want them to (laughs) as opposed to them telling the truth no matter what. Um, and if someone has personality disorder and they believe their lie to be truth, they will be like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Just, they, they, they will, they will say what they believe to be true. So the truth theorem that they use twice in this movie is essentially a barbiturate that doesn't work in the way <laughs> that they show it. Yeah. Sounds uh, like coming, interest- sounds like somebody coming back from the dentist. Also good for <laughs> making uh, original YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> I just picture that it actually turned someone into like Grandpa Simpson when he's like, the year was 19 tickety two. Now we use <laughs> the word tickety because the Kaiser stole the, now I had an onion on my belt, which was, the, was the fashion style at, at the time. time. It was the yeah. style at the time. So, so, so like, let's bring it back to Seagal. So the villain with the, with the spray white hair from Party City, what was his name? I can't remember. Zaga Zagon? Yeah. yeah, I think that was the character and it's Henry Silva's the actor. Yes, yeah. yeah. Henry Silva. So Henry Silva, who is just menacingly like snidely whiplash, he <laughs> shoots him up with the serum, and then you know Steven Seagal does this really terrible tired head, you know, where he swings uh, his head around, like so it kind of like how he swings his arms around when he's running. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> he is actually a they, wacky, waving, inflatable arm man. Yeah. <laughs> so they shoot him up with a ton of barbiturates, oh, essentially. Man. He acts stoned for, what, a minute? Right. And then he gets up and he kills them all <laughs> with precise with precise measures. No. No, 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 no. He would have just like been like, or, or maybe fallen asleep. Like, Yeah, I was totally watching that again, and I was trying to tell him, like, wait, so was it like, was he just p- pretending to be affected and he wasn't actually affected? Because you're right, like he's kind of like for like a second, and then all of a sudden he kills everybody. Yeah. You're like, so oh wait, was that Ozzy, unless he's Ozzy Osbourne and he has developed a tolerance <laughs> to that much barbiturates. No, <laughs> Nico Toscani is the toughest and coolest guy in the world. And that's why it only took him eight seconds to get over that, and he could just kick the living dog shit out of everybody standing there. <laughs> See, well, uh, the other thing I might posit here and. Dr. Dom, you would be the person to confirm or deny whether this could be the case. I might argue that one fact we know about Nico is that he has a newborn in the house. And if anyone is going to be able to recover from a state of unconscious, um, not hysteria, uh, zombiness to instant uh, awake and motion, I would say it's the parent with a newborn in the house. Uh, Dr. Dom, could you confirm? I don't even know where I am right now. I, I, I... <laughs> 
like, I feel like I'm on barbiturates right now. <laughs> so, say, I haven't know, trained in two weeks. I can't imagine if I tried to roll. It would be, <laughs> oh my so, goodness. Like, <laughs> so what you need to do, Dom, just shoot yourself up with some sodium pentothal. It'll be like eating a pack of Mentos. It'll be great. <laughs> Well, I think this does open up an opportunity. So before we close out, here's the alternative lens for the movie. Maybe this whole movie is inside the head of Steven Seagal as a fever dream because he has a young child and he's hallucinating the whole conspiracy inside the CIA. Oh, that could be. Everything from like after we get back to the current day is all just a fever dream because of his lack of sleep. I can't it's a lot more comprehensible than the rest of the movie. <laughs> if you look at it through a, a dream lens, yeah, that makes yeah. 100% sense. <laughs> mm, okay. All right. Uh, Dom, did, uh, do you have anything else for our, our science tonight, or are we nope, good to go? I'm good. All I'm right. Good. Well, that was another. That wasn't uh, enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's never enough. We're delivering free university-level education to our listeners here. That's one thing that we bring at Punches and Popcorn that you won't find anywhere else. Uh, unless you want to pay to attend one of Dom's lectures. Sally has got nothing on us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, as I said before, that's about all the Seagal I can stomach for tonight. I think looking at my my friends here, my co-stars, eh, I think we're all there too. So we will leave Seagal for now, and maybe someday we will come back to him. We'll see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Listen, if we can get a, a Navy SEAL uh, to come in or, and speak with us, then maybe we'll cover uh, Under Siege. Um but otherwise, yeah, that's it. Uh, we have... Uh... Thank you very much, Chris, for the use of the uh, Bogota <laughs> Studios. Chris Lindstrom, thanks for joining us, host of the illustrious Food About Town podcast. It was a pleasure uh, pleasure being on the show. Uh, hopefully I can join another time for maybe a movie that's uh, more palatable and a star that's more palatable. Uh, but it was great having you both here, and uh, nice to meet you officially, Dom. And uh, yeah, this, nice this was great. You. So question, because you're a food guy. Oh. Can we do Beverly Hills Ninja? Because maybe you can analyze how he whacks the guy with those giant fish. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, that sounds <laughs> tremendous. <laughs> or I, I think the other thing, we could also do like a little clip show of food clips. That would be fun. That'd be cool. Ooh. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do uh, what? We'll call it Food Fight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That'd be a good Love time. Because there's already, we've had some good ones in, uh, was it Drunken Master, Drunken Master. The, yep. the celery fight or yep. the zucchini fight or whatever it was. And we, we had the dirty hoe wine uh, fight. Yeah, yep, I, we, yep. there, there are countless scenes we could go through. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. I think it's definitely time for a clip show. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Well, until next time, uh, again, check out the other shows on our Punches of Popcorn or our Punches. I'm just, You're just taking, taking over, over my network, yeah. man. It's, it's actually not the Lunchador network. What? It's now the Punches and Popcorn what network. Everybody wants to t- Usually when I have Chris on, he's the one trying to steal it. Now it's you. What the fuck? Yeah. I'm going to say it is the Bogota Studios aura here that just yeah. it makes us all feel powerful. But a bunch no. of fucking usurpers. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, it's the Lunch Door Podcast Network. We've got Anomaly Presents. We've got Beer Review Journal, Mimosas with My Besties, Mind of Magnus with the Archive, possibly new episodes coming soon, obviously. Punches and Popcorn and the aforementioned Food About Town. Caleb versus Self with new episodes coming. It's a smorgasbord, to use a food term. Uh, anything that your interests are, we have them too. Check out uh, Lunch Door wherever your podcasts are downloaded from. Yeah, And just make sure you're marking your calendars for, I believe it's November 4th through 7th? Close. November 3rd through 6th. It's the oh, Anomaly man, Film was... Festival in uh, 
the Little Theater in beautiful and historic Rochester, New York, uh, showing the finest independent genre movies uh, we can get our hands on. New stuff, old stuff, everything in between. It's going to be killer. The plans that we have are absolutely buck wild, and I can't wait for people to see them. <laughs> yeah, we can't wait. So definitely if you're in town or anywhere near and you want to come and visit Rochester to get your hands on a garbage plate or you know any of the other, a white hot um, any of the other things that are wonderful here, a Jenny, a real Jenny from the brewery, uh, and all the other wonderful things that we offer here in Rochester, come and check out Anomaly in November. And uh, until then, stay classy, couch potato ninjas. This has been a presentation of the Lunchador Podcast Network. 